it was uh, March. March? Yeah, not February. I had the date right last week. Oh. And then I was on the phone for an hour. Well, I was waiting for my phone call for like half an hour. (sighs) And then I called them up and they couldn't find me. And it took ages. And then uh, guy picks the phone back up and just goes, it's March. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've... We we we've all we've all been there. They told me two weeks. Fucking NHS. <sighs> I'm glad at the very least that it was this way around and not the other way around, where they they to- told you the wrong thing and you were a month late for it, and they're like, "Nah, you you missed it." Yeah, your fault. Yeah, yeah. At, at least this way around, it's like, okay, I, I get to play the waiting game a second time. Woo. Yeah. I just want to find out if I can eat a bag of peanuts. Like, I don't think I ask for much. Yeah. I don't think I ask for much. You you just want to know whether like a jumbo bag of, of KP salted nuts is or is not going to absolutely wreck you. Yeah. Like, can I eat a peanut and live? Yeah. That's a good idea for a TV show. Like, fuck waiting <laughs> for the, the phone call from the doctor. We get in touch with uh, Peacock because they'll go for it. We'll call up Peacock and just like be like, right, we got a fucking show for you. We have got like, let's say... 10 people who think they might not be allergic to peanuts. Don't worry, they are super allergic to the rest of them. So you're guaranteed antics. Uh, and then we just sort of sit there and it's almost like a uh, like a Russian roulette as we uh, find out. Russian... No, I couldn't make roulette and legume work as a portmanteau. Moving on, moving on. <laughs> I was also, yeah. It's fun playing the what am I allergic to game. I was playing that game for a while until I worked out that I was allergic to bananas. Well, that's not great. Uh, that took me a while to work out uh, because like, I, I'd been having stuff that had banana in it, but wasn't just banana that was causing me to have weird trouble. Right. But I never, I'm never a person that just sits and eats a banana by itself. So I didn't draw the connection fun fact apparently banana allergies are really common with people with hay fever huh. they're also very common with people with latex allergies because there's two different components in a banana that your body will either get tricked into thinking is pollen or will get tricked into thinking is latex huh. Huh. yeah but bananas like false positive allergy for other things people are allergic to bananas the liar of fruit. Exactly. It's fucking it's fucking wild. Deceptive, deceptive bananas. It wasn't enough that they left their peels on the floor for people to slip on in hilarious slapstick shenanigans. It wasn't enough. They had to go for our minds as well as our bodies. Did the bananas. Oh god. And that's to say nothing of their pajama theft. Oh. Look at them just going down the stairs, casuals can be. Right? <laughs> Harassing innocent teddy bears willy nilly. That toy shop where I like to go to in Dews- Sunny Dewsbury has uh, two bananas in pajamas action figures. Wow! And I got really fucking annoyed at them because one of them is a figure of B one, and the other one is a figure of B two. Mm-hmm. And I just looked at them and squinted, and all I could think of was they're the same banana. <laughs> It's just the same figure. Yeah. Offensive. Yeah, but the other one has a two on it, though. Yeah, that's true. His personality is definitely very different. He's the second one. I kind of want to get those figures because um, they look like the youngest, uh, Bink, and 
I mean, no offense to like yeah. the youngest of the kids. He's just got like this like little bananas in pajamas face. He's he's got the energy exactly of just just happy at the world. Nothing's bothering him. He's just he's just being a little lad in his pajamas. He's just got the vibe. He's got big banana pajama energy. Um, and I think you know that kind of sunny disposition, that kind of positive outlook, is something we should all um, embrace. Speaking of which, uh, just before um, we move on, do you remember that wrestling match that I've been bigging up for months? <laughs> yep, the one that happened this weekend that I had put my heart and soul into, and had worked out like just the perfect match to make up for the fact that Scotty Too Hotty pulled out of it. I was, I couldn't sleep. This past week, waiting for Sunday, I woke like like got up in the morning, like it was Christmas Day, so excited, and then got a message from Shreddy. He fractured his fucking shoulder the night before, oh. but it turns out it was okay because I went out there and cut the promo I was planning to cut about acceptance and and you know wanting to feel seen and heard in wrestling, real from the heart stuff. Um, the crowd chanted you're accepted, which was like just one of the best moments that's ever happened to me in wrestling. Uh, then Shreddy came out and said I was a, uh, a joke, a freak. He was glad his shoulder was fractured. He never actually wanted to fight me and that people like me um, make uh, wrestling a worse place. Well, so that was a shame. Uh, then he had uh, his little fella, Sam Bailey, attack me from behind with a bum bag in a chain uh, oh a chain God. in a bum bag, and it got me between the shoulder blades, and it legitimately fucking hurt. <laughs> um, then uh, Shotty Horror demanded it get turned into a match. The bell ran, uh, rang. I ran across a 20-foot ring, because it was not the uh, usual UK size. Um, immediately after the bell rang, I took his head off with the most gorgeous spinning wheel kick I've ever done. Five minutes later, he was done. Match over. So that was my weekend. A uh, fucking uh, a gut punch of a weekend. A, a roller coaster, I would say. Roller Just coaster. So many emotions. Like it turned out okay. You know the 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 match got me where I wanted to be. It, it, I fucking destroyed a man. Uh, and every move I hit, I felt I actually hit picture perfect. Uh, you you know that elbow drop I do where someone's in the. Mm -hmm. it, I climb the. Uh, corner of the ring and throw myself out backwards to drop drop onto them yeah he was about three or four feet out further than i drop i climb the rope i look down he's not there i look <laughs> oh, over no. my shoulder he's over there oh i thought fuck it <laughs> and according to echo i flew and I actually hit it exactly how I hit it. I don't know how I managed it. Sheer audacity. Sheer, I've got this far in, in the match. I can't breathe, but fuck it. Uh, so, yeah, real pleased with it. I don't have any bookings now till the 18th, and that's kind of good because I need the time off. But I'll be in Blackpool March 18th for the next show. And then I've got a huge thing happening in August that I can't talk about yet, but I told Lauren Connor. It's very exciting, very exciting. It is very exciting. Yeah. So I'm 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 gonna do that bit at the start where I'm gonna I'm gonna promote a thing because this is my last chance to before it's out. Who Hunts the Whale comes out uh next next week, the the day that next episode of Podquisition comes out, the book will be out in the in the in the world for everyone. Mm-hmm. 
it's already uh, a little bit out there. Uh, s- some reviewers have got copies. I've got one. Uh, ebook copies went out to Unbound backers earlier this week. Um, but uh, signed copies will be being sent out to people in the coming days. But yeah, I'm currently in the nervous waiting period between some people have the book and are reading it, and not many people have finished it to say what they think of it yet. And I'm like, I, I, I think we've made a real good book, but yeah, I got, I just gotta wait and know. I just, I just need to know that other people get on board with it. It's gotta be a unique kind of fear. It's, it's not one I think I could imagine because I, I don't think I've ever had the experience of like, it's, there's gotta be something different about like a novel and waiting for yeah. the feedback to that. Well, there's such a tremendous level of commitment up to that point that, you know, you've invested so much and now it's all going to hit everyone else at one point. Yeah, like my my week has very much been a week of there's not been much feedback on it yet because A, a lot of people who are reading it currently haven't finished it and B, a lot of people who have received copies have gone that's cool, I've received my ebook, I'm going to wait until the physical one arrives uh, in the coming days, and I'll start reading it then. Which is, I'm like, I know that there's hundreds of copies out there, but I don't know what anyone thinks. I don't know. And I've just got to, I've just got to sit and be like, I'm confident in this book. Yeah. Because like, the, thing I ke- the, key, the thing I keep reminding myself about it is, usually by the time I reach this point with a book, I fucking hate the book I've written. And it's not because I don't think the book is good, but because you have to, you have to read a book with like a fine tooth comb so many times between finishing writing the first draft and it being out there are so many just i have to carefully 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 read everything i've written again and again and again and tweak it and read it and tweak it and read it you know you tend to hate these things by the time you, you you're done looking at them well and there's a something to the like perfectionist streak that runs through a lot of people yeah to where you can edit yourself into infinity, you know, and particularly with a a project of the scope of a novel. At some point you have to just go, this is it, and let it go. Yeah. Uh, But, like, very specifically, with this book, I haven't felt that way. Like, I still think this book is great. I still really like this book at this moment, which, like, this is usually the bit where I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna hate it until other people say it's good, but... Ah, yeah, so... Who hunts the whale? That's that's out real soon. Um, if you if you if you pick it up and you read it and you enjoy it, go put a review or a rating on Goodreads because that really helps. Just like the number there really helps to so just like click that if you enjoy it, so that other people go. Book is good. Uh should we talk about things we've played this week? Sure. I reckon we could get away with it. You know. Yeah, we could probably do some of that. Yeah. So, who wants to start? Has anyone got a game they want to talk about first? Sorry, I've just been distracted by a Daily Mail headline. Oh, oh no. Now even God could be going gender neutral. Oh, yes, oh, that God. one. Which the BBC has decided to retweet. Because, of course, fucking hell. <sighs> Fuck everything. Conrad, have you played anything this week? Um... Well, I I finished Hi-Fi Rush this week. Yeah? Yeah. And having completed it, boy, that game was made for you. Right. Yeah, that game was really, really made for you. Right. You, you, you understand why this game is exactly what I wanted out of a game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, makes, it makes total sense. 
that uh, this resonated with you on just, I mean, it, a, an emotional, but I would probably even suggest spiritual level. Like, this <laughs> is um, really in line with everything I know about what you like. So I think the level design in it is truly excellent. Yeah. I have done some post-game and going back through, and I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't say I'm the most, the most meticulous um, explorer of environments, but I tend to try to be thorough on a, a first pass through. And I am thoroughly impressed by the number of things that I missed. Yeah. Everything is really well sort of tucked around. Um, and, you know, things that I absolutely could have, have seen and accessed and just overlooked. Uh, so they're very dense with what's in them. The progression system, I don't, I don't think is, it's not ideal unless you are going to commit to replay. Hmm. This is a game that was, was made to be replayed. Yeah. And, you know, and that, I mean, and that's evidenced in no small part by the number of things that it says, hey, you can go do this now immediately after you fin finish the single-player campaign. Yes. But this is also really reflected in experience growth, I guess is the best way I would describe it. The, the, the in-game economy yeah. by which you acquire new moves, abilities, and, and so forth. And there are some interesting concessions in that system that I really like. Uh, for example, the ability to sell back moves at yes. a percentage loss if if you don't get on with them or you're not using them. And it's it's a pretty good percentage return. I think it's like 90 or 95% you get back. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like 90%. It's 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 reasonable. Um and I appreciate that it's there. As the sort of person who kind of settles into a set of combos that they like, I, I it didn't it wasn't a problem for me to not be able to afford to buy pretty much anything else because the, where that uh, buyback scheme doesn't extend is to the items mm. uh, that you purchase for, you know, you know, permanent upgrades to health and energy and, and so forth and to the chips. Yes. The chip system is too expensive to feel particularly valuable in a lot of circumstances. I agree. I feel like the chip system really only felt worthwhile for me once I got into the post-game, and it was very specifically... Uh, there are some optional, very difficult end-game challenges available that I invested some money into chips, because for specific tough challenges, some of those chips, like, made it more viable that I could actually complete the challenge, and some of them I've put some investment into for, like, the time trial, beat as many floors as you can without running out of time mode, some of them have been useful for. But, like, yeah, during during the main game, they were not a good return on investment yeah. compared to the other things you could be spending on. Yeah, and to explain for people who are, you know, listening and don't know what we're talking about, there is a... A mod system in the game where you can acquire some collectibles found in the environment and then spend them and some cash for a passive uh, upgrade to something. But 
you have a limited number of slots that these chips fit into, and if you increase the strength of a chip's level, that higher level will require multiple slots to use. Getting new chip slots is a very expensive purchase from the store as well. Mm. And so you are very, very, very limited in how you can access this system. Again, it's another situation where I don't find, unless there are a bunch of chip designs in the world that I just didn't unlock and find, it feels pretty limiting in what it offers and in terms of how those things are specifically valuable. So it doesn't feel like a huge loss either. But it feels eh, not great to have this system here that could be very interesting, but also comes across as pretty poorly implemented. I, I, I do wish it was more of a thing that you could passively pick up, not at the expense of combos, during that first playthrough. Because, like, in practice, the only way I really used the chip system was, okay, here's a challenge room where um, you have to be doing attacks that uh, you you have to defeat enemies using attacks that use up meter but to attack to get that meter would be risky here's a chip that lets me block to build meter so that i'm not risking killing the enemy so that i can use the metered attack to get the kill it's very specific niche cases like that yeah rather than like feeling like i was building a build right yeah so it feels a bit like a missed opportunity Okay, and and this this legitimately drives me nuts. The NPC environmental puzzle stuff hmm. really annoys me in one specific way, and it's the targeting. Yeah. It is incredibly frustrating. The way it works is you pull the right trigger to call the NPC into the environment, and then this holds your position. It doesn't hold your position now, but you just have to then center your look on a target area that they're supposed to go toward. And this makes sense for the one character who uses a ranged weapon to shoot at things in the environment, right? It makes sense, and that's the first one you get. But the subsequent two, their abilities are for the most part tied to fixed, large environmental passages that you're going to be right next to. Mm-hmm. And so when you pull the trigger and then have to sort of awkwardly aim the reticule to get it centered, and then the camera does a zoom-out thing to do the animation for the timing puzzle... Yes. It's very awkward. Uh, there are a couple of instances where there is movement pressure on you that you need to execute these things quickly. And fine to do that. Yeah. Uh, th this isn't a complaint about the implementation as it pertains to that. Specifically, it's the general way it works. It feels very clunky. It's, um... I I'm prone to failure on it. And it just... It seems like it should just do an auto-lock within a relative yeah. range, you know? Give it some aim assist to click in, and then it's done. It, it, it just drives me crazy every single time I have to deal with it. 
the one of those that, like, I agree with you on is the the punch NPC. Absolutely, because very specifically, the way it plays out that that is a little frustrating. Because, like, I think I think all of the NPCs work great in combat. Sure. Oh yeah, and boy, once once you figure out how useful they aren't just individually against their specific enemy types, but in concert with you and the the other group, it's incredibly fun to bring them in over and over as you are chaining together attacks and moving from enemy to enemy. It's deeply satisfying in combat, but outside of combat. Yeah, because like, yeah, as I was saying, the problem with that, that, that melee NPC is very specifically like, you hold the button, you aim at the thing, you do the animation, and I keep letting go of it too early, mm-hmm. because like, during that animation as he's winding up to, to punch, I want to let go on the next beat. Yep. And no, you have to wait until that targeting circle is there and like realistically wait for it to do a full bounce and like press it on the next beat after that. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel like that necessarily benefits from that where that is one of those cases where I'm like, hey, if I could just run up to that punchable wall and press the punchable button on the beat once and the wall gets punched, I that would have been fine. <laughs> well, and and the other part of it that's a problem is or maybe not a problem, but that's sort of bothersome about it is that it is so ultimately simplistic and basic. Yeah. As, you know, you are just going in there and releasing the trigger. And then it feels really worse. It feels so much worse when you have to go through the process a second time of now I'm going to go and all right, I got to center my target, the thing's going to come back, I got to wait. I feel like the other pair of NPCs feel more justified, at least, in the that setup a little more justified yeah i mean there's more of a a complexity to the puzzle of the third npc Mm. right that i mean i don't like that either (laughs) necessarily i like that one but i but i get it (laughs) like it's 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 fine i i'm not i'm not angered by it the way that i am the other one (laughs) because there is both nothing to it and it's awkward but I do really like the game. Like, you know, I'm I'm getting into some of these sort of nitpicky design things, although I don't think the progression system is necessarily a nitpick. I do think that that is, it, it is catering to a very specific type of player, and I respect that, but it does not necessarily make for the best experience for probably the majority of players. Yeah. But... On the whole, I think the combat is supremely fun. It has a lot of options and possibilities that I, you know, even only barely scratched the surface of in terms of the combos and and the way those can be linked together. Uh, I think it is so respectful of the player's ability Mm. and still effective at making you feel empowered even if you may not necessarily be doing the best at keeping on the beat yeah it still feels like it is rewarding on the normal difficulty setting i haven't bothered stepping up to hard but i do uh i appreciate that i think that that also is a bit of a well i don't know i i was consistently getting a ranks through most of the single player experience. So 
Like I was about to say, gosh, I wonder if, you know, because my timing isn't necessarily the best, but I was still consistently, you know, pulling B rank down on that. Yeah. The timing percentage was the thing in my normal mode playthrough that was largely pulling down a lot of my scores. And it's the thing that I, like, in the post-game, I've been putting a lot of time focusing explicitly on that. Right. And it has really sort of, like, clicked a lot of things for me. But, like, yeah, I, I was the same. I was getting, like, maybe, like, on a good level, I was getting, like, 80% timing and, like, S ranks on the other aspects of the fight. But, like, still feeling like I was doing well. And I do think that post-game content is very good and interesting. In terms of these challenge rooms that, I mean, we'll just say that yeah. there are challenge rooms that are opened up in the in the post game, and I have only done a few of them, but they are interesting. Yeah. Again, this game feels like it is catering to an audience that is intent on replaying it. Yeah, which usually I'm not that person for character action games. I usually will, like, you know, I'll play through a, a, a um, Devil May Cry or a Bayonetta, play it through once, um, see the story through and be like, yep, that's me done. But I also think that that is a trait common to this genre in a lot of ways. Because I was thinking, I was, you know, trying to think back to, you know, when I was really into the first couple, well, the first and the third Devil May Cry, the second one didn't mm. didn't hit me that hard. And how so much of that, when I was, well, when I was playing Devil May Cry 3, it was with the understanding, like with the foreknowledge that I was going to replay this on multiple difficulty settings. And that was like part of the process of playing it. Mm -hmm. And how that just felt normal to me. And this game feels like a very modernized approach to this, you know, I would argue now is a classic type of game that we don't see quite as specifically uh, anymore when it used to be a very dominant uh, kind. It has shifted a lot more in the direction of open worlds. Mm. Um, you know, you still see combo-driven stuff, but you don't see necessarily the same focus on reward being tied explicitly to it so this this is following in a lot of ways on a very very established if maybe less popular genre now yeah and therefore perhaps should be catering to that audience in these ways um and it's doing a very good job i think of creating reasons for those people who are interested in a game that you replay over and over to do so. Well put. Yeah, it's a it's a great game. Um, oh, and I had, uh, when I started playing it, you know, and I got through the first level, because that, in a game like this, at this point in my life, is where I decide whether or not I'm going to bother playing any more of it at all. Yeah. But I was intrigued because of the licensed music. Yeah. And uh, so I went and checked the licensed music list. And when I saw that the perfect drug was on there. <laughs> yes. I had two thoughts. I thought, well, I guess I'll play at least until that comes up. And two, fuck, I know where that's going to come up. Uh, and it was worth it. Like the that that 
that whole final boss sequence is truly enjoyable. Just, it brings together everything that the game's been doing up to that point in a really satisfying manner. All of the mechanical aspects that you have been taught over the course of things. Uh, things that you maybe haven't used as much in the past. They're still important. It's still all part of that foundation. And it just comes together in a very satisfying final boss sequence that I enjoyed a lot, which is, I usually, I often get let down by those, you know, last encounters, but this, this one delivers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Steph? What have you been playing this week? Um, so I've played a game called Hi-Fi Rush. I don't know if you've heard of it, because um, it came out like with a surprise announcement. It's this uh, rhythm <laughs> game, uh, like a, a rhythm action game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I I didn't play any more of that because I, for the reasons I gave last week, I I can't. I can't. Which, yeah, totally understandable. Although I will say I do think that it gets less visually oppressive the further in you can get, but it you know it's not worth if it, you know you can't make it through the first two levels. Don't bother. You know it's fine. Yeah. Well, I played something else instead. Yeah. And and before I before I talk about it, I just want to preface it that as an ally to the trans community, I. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just want to focus on the game as a game because uh, I, I grew up with it and I really love the world, um, and that's why I played Final Fantasy Fifteen <laughs> this week. <sighs> even as even as a joke, I'm tired. <laughs> I am leaving it there. I am on a bit of a Final Fantasy kick because even though I'm like just sick of Square Enix's shit. I got hooked on theatre rhythm. Yeah. Because uh, I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks back, got a, been getting back into some 3DS stuff, got super hooked on theatre rhythm. They've got that new one coming out. A demo came out for that. Uh, and I've been fucking hooked on that. Like, it's, it's got only a couple songs. Well, it's got 30 songs, to, to be fair. And I've just played them to death. And I wanted to refamiliarize myself with Final Fantasy XV because. I can't remember any of the music and it will just be more fun if I remember the actual music. Plus, it's a really good game. Um, and Final Fantasy XII, which I've... I tried to play once and only got five minutes in because back in the day, we had Final Fantasy X, then eleven was that MMO, and I've never had any interest in MMOs, plus I was super poor at the time. I was not paying a subscription. Yeah. And that was just enough of a break in the, in the series that I just stopped following it. So then 12 came out and I just skipped it until, you know, years later, 13 came out and I covered that over the course um, of my job as a reviewer. And my review went down really well uh, with the community. They thought it was a, a, a literary tour de force. So that's my history with the uh, more latter day games. So I've never really played 12. And in fairness, everything I saw and heard did little to make it appeal. And playing it through, I'm about five, six hours in, I want to say. It's fucking weird. Mechanically, it's so strange. Because uh, this was really the following from 11 and the MMO trappings. This was the first 
solo mainline Final Fantasy to, I guess, begin that move away properly from turn-based battling and try and do something, in this case, more MMO-oriented, following on from Eleven, I would imagine. So the battle system is comp- a real departure with a, like auto-attacking and an unbelievably convoluted way to get your allies in the party to do their attacks. Because these days, we're used to uh, a party-based game, like an MMO or what have you, giving you some manual control if you want, but in general, using some very basic settings to determine what tactics your party's going to use. You play a Bioware game, you've got your party members, and you can do, you know, focus on healing first, or be really aggressive or defensive, stuff like that. The Gambit system in Final Fantasy XII, holy shit, where you select different targets, like ally, health below 50%, and then you select an action, like use cure or use a potion. Enemy, one being targeted by the player, or one that's weak to fire or something like that. Really specific. You can get really specific with it to the point where myself, who do who doesn't like micromanaging, is just like, I I don't know what the fuck I'm doing and what's efficient here. Uh, especially because they if if you put on the gambit and they can't do the actions you've given them, they're not going to like automatically attack unless that's one of their gambits. Without you manually overseeing them, it's uh it can be a, a real pain in the ass to get them to be efficient. Uh, on top of that, just the the bizarre way it handles every familiar, otherwise familiar mechanic. You can't equip weapons or accessories without having the appropriate license for them. There isn't like a skill tree or anything like that. There's a grid of licenses and you get license points and you use those to unlock licenses that let you use stuff. And it has some like stat upgrades and stuff on it also. And that's split up into a job system. So if you want to like wear an iron bangle, you need to invest in the accessories license that lets you have an iron bangle. And if you're on the the white mage skill tree, it's not enough to just get the license to use cure. You've then got to go to the magic spell shop to buy cure so that you can use it. And it's just, it's extra steps, the game. Everything is what you've seen in an RPG. With so many extra steps, it's baffling. Now, I don't know if at the time, because I can't remember much discourse around it uh, at the time, I don't know if, if people felt the same way or if this is me looking back after years of streamlining. But it is bizarre. Everything is so ponderous. Um, I'm still sticking with it, but I don't think I'm going to see it through to the end. Because it's deeply strange. And that's 12. Playing that on the Switch. Yeah, just a, just a very strange game. Uh, fun. Speaking of strange, I'll I'll quickly because I'm not not gotten as far into it yet. But Final Fantasy 15, which I'm have both of you played that one. I I, I played a lot of 15. 
Which one's 15? Is that the one with the tour? It's the boy band adventure. Yeah, b- boy band in a car. Yeah, I didn't I didn't play it. No. Uh, it looked interesting. It's got the best intro a Final Fantasy has ever had. Yes. One of the best intros in my opinion in gaming. In terms of an intro that sets the tone for the game, it's almost perfect as these four lads push their broken down car along a like a, a a a highway while a cover version of stand by me plays which when i i still remember when i played it for the first time and it was so fucking jarring because it's final fantasy you don't expect a cover a, a very good cover version of stand by me to play uh, while the camera pans up like it's brilliant and and it sets the tone for a game that is brilliantly confused <laughs> and all over the place, but works. Now I didn't know that Forspoken was done by these people by by the people who did Fifteen. Mm. It makes so much sense because Fifteen is a mess. It's kind of like the other side of the coin um, that Forspoken is on. In that both these games are a fucking car crash of ideas. But with Forspoken, all these ideas undermine each other and create this uh, car wreck. Whereas with 15, the ideas are all so bizarre and almost surreal in terms of presentation that it works. So even though the story is fucking incomplete and requires you to look at a whole bunch of ancillary material... The experience as, as a total package is so fascinating and, and enjoyable. Just spending time in the world is enjoyable. Hmm. So it's easier to overlook the disjointed, incomplete story because the story's almost in the background. Yeah. Because it's more about... Ignis plagiarizing recipes <laughs> yeah. and buying soundtracks for the car, which I would not forgive that in another game. A game that makes me sit for three minutes watching them drive a car. I don't know what, it, but, uh, but again, in this game, the presentation, I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. It, it's unapologetic about every choice it makes, and it has no. It, it doesn't have any pretenses of thinking any of the things it's doing are necessarily smart. It's just. Look, I, we want to have a world where, you know, you'll be in the middle of fighting a dragon and someone in your party will be like, ah, this gives me an idea for dinner. <laughs> the, the game doesn't take itself too seriously, and it, it is just an adventure of a bunch of people having a bit of a laugh while kind of going where they're meant to be going. It's a road trip video game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I like the road trip as a story, like, conceit. Mm. Road trip narratives uh, are something I really enjoy. Um, so I think that helped as well. But yeah, its sense of humor is bizarre, but very charming. The, the shitty little time-wasty things like fishing, I like. And it, it, it's stuff in other games I'd roll my eyes at, but it's just presented here in just the right way that I'm, I'm absolutely enchanted by it as I play it. The combat system is where you definitely can tell that there's 
DNA that would be found in Forspoken because it's got that exact same issue of the only way to guarantee I won't get hit is if I do nothing but spam the dodge button because the attacks come in thick and fast and it can be really hard with the mess of what's going on screen. Um, can be really hard to anticipate. Um, the main difference is um, between this and Forspoken is the punishment feels less. You're not juggling a whole bunch of different attacks. Mm. You're not trying to pull off things with charges and massive cooldowns. Um, in fact, the special moves you can do, which you, you know that you're commanding your team to do, will always pull off. That doesn't mean they'll always hit because sometimes the enemy will have ended up behind a wall and Prompto will just shoot the wall. <laughs> but you don't feel punished for not being prescient. That's the difference. Forspoken is so obsessed with showing off its parkour dodging animations that to try and do anything else feels punishing. Whereas in Final Fantasy XV, it's very frustrating to try and anticipate hits and the fact that there's a QTE button prompt to dodge, but only sometimes. Like, yeah, that's frustrating. But with the warping in and out of combat and the uh, bells and whistles of, of your teammates and just having teammates helps as opposed to Forspoken. It does just enough. And... What I like about the combat system is it's the first time Square Enix's, in my opinion, floundering attempts to move away from traditional uh, turn-paced JRPG combat. This was the first time I was like, okay, I'm getting this now. Okay, this feels like it's got a flow to it and it feels like it's, it knows what it wants to be. And that's something that I felt they finally perfected with Final Fantasy VII Remake. So that's what really helped me sort of come back to Final Fantasy after, well, you know, it's well known that I despised 13 and didn't play 14 because, again, MMO. Uh, but Final Fantasy 15 really brought me back. It's just got such a unique style. Um, I don't think there's a game quite like it in terms of that style and presentation and just the sheer mix of things it does. A genuinely fascinating game. I, I really could talk about it for hours. Um, I'm not gonna, because that would be absurd halfway through a podcast about lots <laughs> of things. But I really could. I, I've been streaming it, and, and I really can just wax poetic about it, because it's so genuinely in interesting. Um, but yeah, 15. I've, I'm playing the Royal Edition, which I never played, so... Hmm. Looking forward to going through seeing what has changed. Yeah, good stuff. Nice. In terms of stuff I've been playing, the only thing I've been playing really is the Playdate some more, because I'm, I'm still getting my weekly dose of little games to play. Yeah, that must be nice. Must be nice! So this week's pair of games were Star Sled and Saturday Edition. Star Sled I'll talk about first because it's an easier one to describe, I think. Star Sled is a game where you use the crank to pick the direction that a ship is pointing, uh, and your ship uh, that you're flying through space has a sort of trail that leads behind it, and what you're trying to do is circle these little stars with the trail behind your ship, make a closed loop around them, that's how you, you, you progress. You'll have levels that have a bunch of these to collect, 
you can only ca capture one of them at a time, which sometimes will be used for things like there's two of them very close together. You've got to sort of thread the needle between the two as you do your circle. And as the game progresses, it adds in obstacles that force you to get good at doing tight turning circles uh, with a good degree of accuracy. Uh, a good example of this being the first um, boss level uh, that I came across was one where it was a big uh, space station satellite thing that had lots of these sort of semicircular alcoves in them that had these all stars to collect. But the entrance to them had uh, electricity going across. So you'd sort of fly in when the electricity wasn't going, do your tight circle to, to collect the star, but the electricity would still be going. So you'd have to sort of carefully keep doing tight circles until the electricity blocking your way passed, and then you could escape. It's got lots of like neat little ideas like this that are basically forcing you to get good at controlling the ship in narrow situations. You start getting uh, introduced to like enemies that are chasing you, uh, that you're having to factor into how you play. It's a, it's a neat little game. I feel like in the season of games they are that that you get with the playdate, I feel like its placement wasn't great, and not because the game isn't good, but because it's very strange that they released it as part of its batch of two games exactly a week after another game about using the crank to control a top-down view of a ship. Uh, the one that I talked about the other week that was um, basically asteroids, but you uh, you have to dash into the asteroids rather than shoot them. And like the, neither of those is bad games. I enjoy them both very much, and the mechanic works very well. But it feels like it feels like they could have been better spread apart in this collection. The other one, Saturday edition, I don't know how to talk about right now. So I'm gonna do my best. I've got a lot of narrative preamble I have to talk about before I can get into what the game actually is. It is set in a world in which there is an alien species. Uh, that wanted to make contact with humanity, but they are incredibly fragile, like physically fragile aliens. So to be safe, they abduct this one human man to go like, let's see how, how diplomatic relations go just communicating with one human. And this human gets on very well with them. And in fact, you know, by the end of it, it's like, no, I'll just hang out here on, 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 on your planet. Does so very, very nicely until a regime change on the planet where suddenly he is not so welcome and is sent home, uh, back to Earth, and he decides to talk about his experience to the media, about the fact that he's been abducted by aliens, and basically being like, I, I promise you, you will not find a single piece of evidence that I have been on this planet the last four years. You will not find any evidence I've been on the planet for four years. The whole game takes place during like the five or so days leading up to some big video interview that some news channel is running with uh, interviewing him about his experience. And it seems like maybe some people who know about aliens on Earth are not happy that he's speaking up. That's the vibe I'm getting. And I say that's the vibe I'm getting because all of that preamble gets us to a very slow plodding point and click adventure kind of. And I like a lot of the design aesthetic going on in it. I like a lot of the writing. I like narratively what it's going for. I think the characters are engaging. What I think this game struggles with is movement speed is slow. And maybe this will improve as I get further into the game. But right now, what I'm struggling with is... Let, let me talk you through a series of events that happened that were made very infuriating because I was moving very slowly. I walk to the office where I work, 
walk to my my co-worker's desk. They tell me they need a cable. Uh, cool, I walk out of the office, go to a shopping centre, slowly walk around the shopping centre, find the shop that sells the cable, the shop is shut. Walk back to the office to find out whether uh, like, I'll get new dialogue maybe that'll point me to where to find the cable instead. No, it does not. I'm now like, okay, I have to, I guess, do the point-and-click adventure thing of walk around clicking on everything until I find something that helps me work out what I'm doing. And like, it's that moment of... I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm I've not put in had enough time in this game that I'm like I have ideas to work off. I'm just gonna have to very slowly move around clicking on things. And like that early momentum wasn't good. I'm gonna give it another try and hope it gets past it, but like it, it's not made a good first impression on me, not because of the narrative that I am like genuinely like pretty intrigued by, but because I cannot be doing with the like this much early on. Click, click on everything until you find it in a game that isn't pacey. Yeah. Pixel bitching, I believe, was the uh, old term for it. I, um, what did you say, sorry? Pixel bitching. I think that was the old... Uh, yeah. I guess these days questionable term for it. That's yeah. what they used to call it. I, I, and here's the thing. I, look, I'm not opposed to that as long as like my time is not wasted while I'm getting that done. As long as I can sort of quickly whip around places and go, check that, check that, check that. I'm not fond of it, you know. Like, if you're doing... Where's the game in that, you know? Like, clicking on everything. Yeah, I would always prefer it not, but I can live I can live through it if, if you at least, like, don't plod through it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there is something to be said for using your observational skills, but the, the problem there is... How far do you go at obscuring the thing that yeah. the player is meant to see? Yes. That's it. If, it. if it's click until you stumble on it, then that's... Yeah. yeah. It, it's got that feeling right now, um, which is a shame. But the other thing I'll very quickly talk about with Playdate is um, I needed to distract myself this week, because this week's been a lot. I sat learning how to, how to make games for the Playdate. I've tried learning to code a few times in the past and, you know, mixed mixed success. But I really like the development tools uh, that are available for the Playdate. There is a there is a program that is usable in browser that will let you uh, visually edit certain elements alongside doing code, alongside like booting up the game in a little virtualized Playdate and testing how it's going to work and whether it works the way you want it to. And I have been following some tutorials and messing around and kind of getting somewhere. It uses a coding language called PulpScript, which is pretty basic. Like, if if this, then this. Uh, on this happening, do this uh, kind of commands. I appreciate that this browser-based um, editor does a lot of, like, offering you autocomplete, so if you start typing a thing, it'll be like, are you trying to type this command that, will, that like, is a thing that, that is recognised in the way the code works? It is, it is surprisingly good at, like, pointing out where errors are and what the error is, which is really good for me as someone, like, trying to learn how to do this. But I made a little demo of a top-down little adventure game. You could pick up keys, and there was a little key counter that would count your keys, and you could use them to unlock doors. There were sort of spikes that would go up and down out the ground that could damage you. 
and I was like, I, I made a health counter with hearts that would go down to like half hearts and then, you know, disappear. And then I worked out how to, this is the bit I was proud of. I worked out how to make the crank on the playdate uh, refill your health. So I made like a little three level demo that like introduce it. Like the first room is there are things that can damage you in here, but you're probably going to be able to avoid them completely just by playing well. The second room, it is designed in such a way that you are probably going to take damage a couple of times and be forced to use that mechanic to heal yourself a bit. The third room, you cannot get through that room without injuring yourself. You are going to have to move crank, move crank, like be cranking while you're moving to to put your health back up as it's going down. Mm -hmm. I was like, look at me. I made like a little thing that taught a gameplay mechanic and then put it on my little yellow thing. And now I can play it with the crank. I was very proud of myself this week. That's very cool. That sounds neat. It's nothing particularly impressive, but I got it running and I worked out how to like debug the errors I was getting without having to go ask for help on debugging it. So that that's my thing I'm proud of this week that, that was a little distraction for me. Oh, you should be. Don't diminish yourself. You're the best Playdate programmer I know. <laughs> I'm working out how to do things with it. Like, I realized that the game was running a little slowly because I had a bunch of spikes going up and down that every time they went up and down, every spike in the room was trying to play the spike goes up or spike goes down sound effect. So I worked out how to make it do it just once. Uh, so it wasn't like doing so many things at once. I'm, 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 I'm working out the logic of this. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Comrade, have you played anything else this week? Just a little bit of satisfactory and I don't really have much of anything to say about that. Uh, yeah. That was mostly Hi-Fi Rush. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's some other stuff, but I got to talk about that next week. Well, that's fair. Uh, what about you, Steph? You played anything else you want to talk about this week? Uh, yeah, just just briefly touch on it. Do you remember Tomodachi Life? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been playing some of that on the old uh, 3DS there. Needless to say, been enjoying it. Just an apartment building with me in it. And Jonathan and Christina Aguilera in it. Oh, well, obviously. <laughs> the ultimate trio. Uh, yeah, uh, Jonathan is in a little schoolboy outfit. As he would. Yeah, uh, we're already dating. Yep. I spent about 20 minutes this morning rewriting some lyrics for a song that I gave him uh, about being a little butter boy. And, uh, yeah... <laughs> Oh dear. Um but yeah, yeah. Uh it's it's just a delightfully weird silly game, really. Just just incredibly silly. It's barely a video game and I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, pretty much. I've seen people crossing their fingers. By the time this goes up there will have been a Nintendo Direct. There are, I've seen people crossing their fingers for like Switch re-release of this game and I totally would support that cuz this I think it's fab. Yeah, it would track, because, you know, they, they put Metopia up. Yeah, and of the two, I honestly prefer this to Metopia. Less less gameplay, more focus on silly, weird house share. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's just a very, like you say, barely a game, but it's not like you're not doing stuff. Yeah. You know, you're constantly feeding them and getting them little clothes, and it's so strange. I love it, and and I love the text-to-speech. Like, it really is good. Yeah. Um, you can make Jonathan say anything you want. <laughs> His catchphrase is bone me, Steph. 
it's great. So yeah, I have got a bunch of 3DS games uh, and DS games, but I've not really gone through them yet. Started a little bit of uh, Animal Crossing New Leaf. Animal Crossing, innit? What more can you say? Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's been sort of my focus, really, has just been looking at getting getting back into 3DS stuff. I, I also thought, in good faith, I'll see what it's like to try and get something on the eShop now. <laughs> as as it heads towards its final cutoff uh late march my god the hoops now yeah made extra hard by the fact that um i the the 3ds i currently um reacquired is uk based mm. and my nintendo stuff is all us based and of course you know nintendo's always been a bugger for region locking yeah um so i've got to have a separate account for it and even then like you've got to Make your Nintendo ID account. But a Nintendo account is different than a Nintendo network account. Mm-hmm. So you've got to link those and then put funds on the site and then merge those funds with the 3DS because uh, they stopped... They, they switched off credit card payments mm. and then afterwards switched off the ability to like get a, a, a card, like a, a gift card, like payment card. You can't use codes anymore, so it's all just that weird roundabout way of linking it. Uh, look, I'll, I'll, I'll say a thing that, you know, no, it's not breaking any new ground saying this. People are most likely to turn to piracy when legitimate purchases are made inconvenient. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's literally because after trying to fathom all this out, after trying to get my old, my, my proper Nintendo ID onto it and failing, and the game never even uh, the the system never actually telling me what the problem was, and then setting up the new one, which was a whole bunch of hoop jumping, and then working out how to put money on it, and then making a a Nintendo account to link to the ID account to merge the 3DS to it. The one game I was interested in looking at, Automaton Long, it's not even available anymore. So, <laughs> wow. Nintendo, just a constant case for piracy. It's not only, as I've said for years, morally correct to pirate Nintendo's content. It's practically right. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, practically and logistically correct. They're leaving us with no choice now. So, yeah. You know, it is a shame that that the 3DS is, is closing very soon. And it's just kind of sad now, you know, like so much stuff uh, that was relying on things like Street Pass and Spot Pass and stuff like that. Like Tomodachi Life, like there's functions that on this replay I'm never going to be able to enjoy, I don't think. Yeah. That I could back in the day. Uh, I do know before the uh, the last True Grit show I did in Leeds, I got an email from someone asking if... Uh, I could bring a 3DS to Street Pass. <laughs> uh, and I forgot to get back to them, but I have messaged them. And I'm like, if you're at the next lead show uh, on March 25th, bring it along. And if any of you are coming to any wrestling show, I will endeavor to bring my 3DS. I'll bring mine next time I come. Yeah. Yeah. And we can all Street Pass and live, relive the the good old days, question mark. And that'd be good. Oh, by the way, people also reached out to ask about um, 
sending me aliens infestation. I've had a couple people reach out about like a mailing address, and we do have those. They're on thegymquisition.com, and I'm, I'll just give them out now, because if you want to send me copies of uh, Aliens Infestation, I will take that shit quite happily. Because uh, I've got a US and a UK mailing address. The UK mailing address will get to me quicker, and that is P.O. Box 924 Halifax, West Yorkshire, HX19XA. And the US address is P.O. Box 63995, Philadelphia, PA, 19147. And, and I've had people ask about, like, aliens infestation and DS stuff, and also 1998 Godzilla stuff. Uh, yeah, feel free! Uh, and, and for a written version of, of that, it's on uh, the website. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing aliens infestation if I get a copy. Nice. Um, yeah, Tomodachi Life. You can marry Jonathan Holmes. Ten out of ten. I mean, what better review could you have for a game, right? So let's crack through a few bits of gaming news because there's a, there's a few of them. We're gonna get them out of the way once again. They're mostly Microsoft and Activision Blizzard because of course they fucking are. Uh, that's that's just life now for a while. So about a week ago, we got the 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 first rumblings that it seemed like the UK was probably gonna be opposing Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Basically, in a report to the New York Times, uh, Microsoft talked about the fact that they they believed the, uh, the UK's antitrust authority was probably going to intervene. That turned out to be correct. Like, literally today, maybe an hour before we started recording, that all became official. And that has led to some interesting pushback. So... We'll we'll start with with what the UK's regulatory body is saying about the uh, the acquisition. Uh, they believe that it could harm UK gamers. It could result in higher prices, fewer choices, and less innovation. Yep, monopolies tend to have those those outcomes. The UK's uh, regulatory agency isn't outright saying no. We won't let you do the deal. They're doing. They're basically saying we're going to inform you of some possible remedies that could address our concerns. Uh, you'll have until the end of April to address the concerns we have and do some of the things we're asking of you. Uh, we do know what some of those things are. Uh, there's a there's a tweet from Stephen Toledo that has summarised pretty well what it would take for the UK's competition regular to be okay with the Activision purchase. I'm going to read you these three things because there is no fucking way in the world that Microsoft or ABK are going to say yes to any of these. Yeah. They, they would be okay with the deal if ABK divests itself of Call of Duty, uh. ABK divests itself of Activision, uh. or ABK divests itself of Activision and Blizzard. Interesting. <laughs> what would they be buying? They'd be buying King? King. Yeah, I guess so. They'd be buying King. They'd be buying King, which is, I mean, that as I have, as I've said, I think that's the thing they actually want. It's it won't be worth the whole amount of money. No, God, no, absolutely not. Which, by the way, right? Historically, when money's been tight for me, right? Yeah, I don't buy luxuries. Why is Microsoft laying off? Over 10,000 people and still buying itself a treat. 
I mean, it's probably laid off a bunch of people so it can afford to buy itself a tree. <laughs> you give up the acquisition first, you cunts. I mean, you do- in capitalism, you don't because they don't fucking think like that because, you know, daddy's got to get his treat and fuck the rest of the fam- the so-called family. They don't think of workers as people. Check out who hunts the whale. <laughs> well, no, it's... Human resources. Yeah. You know, that was one of the points I made on the Jimquisition the other week when I'm like, you know, they're people. We keep calling them employees, workers, human resources. They're people that get laid off. Um, And yeah, like fucking, it's so offensive and it should be offensive, but we're so used to it that it's, you know, and we're so used to the idea that it's normal, but as I've often said, normal is not okay. It should be so offensive that Microsoft laid off 10,000 people because, oh, times are going to be tough, and they still want to spend that much money buying Activision Blizzard for a lark. Yeah. I'm so glad it's this difficult for them, if for no other reason than spite. But that this has been such an uphill fight for them. Mm. Any time a corporation struggles to to get what it wants is uh, almost universally brilliant. Uh, but I am enjoying it. Yeah. Even if they end up getting it. The fact that they've had to at least like break the habit of a lifetime and these executives have had to fucking work. They've had to spend the last 6 to 12 months having to like talk about how shit they are and how much better their competitors are than them. Yeah. And if nothing else, it's been good having to watch these companies go, oh no, look at us, whoa, it's us, we're so shit at making games. Yeah, it's been it's been nice to see them have to put in the effort. Yeah. Uh, especially because I didn't have much faith that they would have to. Yeah. Like, I'm so used to seeing regulators like roll over for companies now. And I'm sure they were too. Yeah. And there's still time. Let's not, you know, jump to any conclusions, but... Well, yeah. There's still every chance they will that this acquisition will go through. Oh, absolutely. But I'm just enjoying that it's been a fight. Yeah. On, on the topic of the, the Activision, the ABK acquisition uh, and the UK, we got some... Oh, we got some 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 quotes from Bobby Kotick this oh week. Oh boy. Oh, that evil monster. Yeah, that evil monster. So, uh at at the t- this story came out before it was official that the UK was going to be, you know, opposing the uh the acquisition. Bobby Kotick was being interviewed on CNBC and was asked, "How would you react if the UK joined other regulators in opposing the deal?" And Oh my goodness, uh, he, he sort of, he goes off on one a bit. The, the clip is very strange to watch. Let, let, let me just read to you. You think about post-Brexit UK. It's probably the first country where you're seeing a recession, and the real severe consequences of a recession. It really isn't all about Sony or Microsoft's platform. Investing in this acquisition is about the future of technology. <laughs> he went on to say... If deals like this can't go through, uh, the UK isn't going to be the si- it, Silicon Valley, it's going to be Death Valley. It already is. Yeah, he, he goes on to waffle a bunch about like, oh, regulators don't understand the video game industry. Nor do most video game executives. Yeah, he got he waffles on and on, but he's basically trying to argue, if the UK opposes this acquisition then who, uh, maybe we were planning to invest in tech or something in the UK and might not do so now, and maybe that'll destroy the UK economy. So, like, that'd be their, be their loss if they, if they blocked us 
merging. Yeah, like for someone who's talking about not understanding shit they're talking about, it's not our loss because there's nothing left to lose. Like the UK is in an economic fucking disaster. It's the pits. And I guarantee you that Activision Blizzard being bought by Microsoft will not suddenly make energy prices affordable for most of the country. Yeah, but what what if it does, though? Kotick suggests it might. What if it does? You'll be Death Valley if you don't. (laughs) I guarantee you it's not going to stop shops limiting you to buying two packets of eggs per customer because there aren't enough fucking eggs anymore. I guarantee you that it's not going to stop old people dying in the fucking winter. And the thing is, is... As disingenuous as as these executives are, I almost wouldn't be surprised if he believed it on some level, if he believed in this messianic bullshit he was presenting. I mean, look, if you, if, if you tell yourself a, a lie enough times, it becomes, you know, it becomes easier and easier to say it as if it were true. I feel like, just as I think about it now, one of the most dangerous aspects of corporate culture are the fact that these executives truly do believe that they're the saviors. Yeah. That they truly do believe that everything's got to be the way it is. They are successful because they were rich and smart and knew the right thing to do, not because their economic advantages put them in a position to fail upwards through most of their careers. Well, thank God we've got fucking Elon Musk puncturing that delusion every single day. (sighs) The the idea that, you know, being exploitative and backstabby enough to climb the corporate ladder is the same as being intelligent. Like, we've really got to divorce ourselves from that idea. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I truly do believe that we've reached such a point now that these, that men like Kotick... They've got messianic delusions. They really do think that they're the ones who will save it. Save everything. Save us from the problems that they caused and continue to cause. Like, I'm not going to believe that a fucking billionaire is going to help people struggling with energy costs because it's billionaires that made the costs rise, that chose to do it. Yeah. Kotick is just a disgusting man. Yeah. Uh, and last, uh, last thing we got this this week. Hey, you know how we've been sharing a bunch of stories about uh, multiplayer online games getting cancelled within like a year of of being out. Yeah. You sort of live mm-hmm. service cancellations. Well, we got another story about a game cancellation, but this time, b- before it even got announced, apparently EA was working on a single player Titanfall game. And they've now scrapped it in amongst scrapping a bunch of other stuff recently. Uh, you know, in with Apex Legends Mobile and Battlefield Mobile. That sucks. Yeah, it sucks. Titanfall 2, that campaign, so good. We've talked about it before, all of us. It's so good. It's fucking incredible. Yep. What what we know about it, it was, uh, apparently, it was, uh, according to Jason Trier, it was a brand new respawn single-player adventure. It was a first-person shooter with a focus on mobility and style. Sounds like Titanfall. It was it was being helmed by, I believe, the creative director of Titanfall 2. And he was working on it up until 2021 when he left the studio and now the whole thing's just been cancelled. Another story of people uh, being, being impacted by cancellations. Around 50 people at Respawn uh, reportedly will be affected by the project's cancellation. So... 
some of those staff will be reshuffled within the company, some of them will be laid off. Wow. Yeah. That's a shame. It is. Yeah. Just give us just give us single player video games. It's not that much to ask. It'd be real nice. It would be. Be real nice. Wouldn't yeah. it? Wouldn't it be real nice? Just like people that make and sell games. It'd be good if they made and sold games. Mm. That's what I think. Yeah. That's a pretty revolutionary statement there. I know. I'm a, a real uh, market disruptor. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Speaking uh, of disrupting the market. Y- yeah. Laura. That's me. Yeah. You produce content that will shake the world. I mean, that's that's the hope. Right? Yeah. And I want to know about it. Well, I mean, look, you, you can find me on all the things at Laura K. Buzz. Like that, you know about that at this point. I've prattled on about that on and on and on. Go go check out Who Hunts the Whale if if you haven't already. Uh, it, it is releasing on February 16th. That is a week away on the day this episode goes up. It is a book about the terrors of capitalism and its impact on the people trying to genuinely make art in the video game space that in the time since I started writing it with my lovely wife Jane has only become more and more and more accurate. Yeah. I will I will say this. It is very hard to write exaggerated parody satire pastiche in this space because no matter how much of an exaggeration you create of evil capitalist bullshit, reality will find a way to catch up with you and faster than you would expect. Oh, God. Yes. Oh, well, I, you know... Steph and I used to do a podcast that ran into that same problem. The world just, it, it's getting, mm-hmm. gotten so ridiculous so much faster than you can be ridiculous. Yeah, and I I am very proud of how well I think we walked the line of getting that final draft off to the printers at such a time that by the time it comes out, it will still be riding that line of, not everything in here has happened yet, but people will read this book, and I I guarantee in the six months that follow release, a bunch of things from this book are going to start cropping up, because it's you just have to stop for a few seconds and look at the fucking trajectory this industry's on. So, yeah, Who Hunts the Whale? Go, go check it out. I am incredibly fucking proud of that book, and if you enjoy it, like, go give it a rating on Goodreads, that really helps. Uh, what about you, Conrad? Where are you on the internet? I am at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you could buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com. You can also hear me on Let's Talk About Snacks, available wherever podcasts are. And also check out Red Planet, which is a very uplifting, uh, positive show about how we can build solidarity for the coming uh, new world as capitalism just will continue to crumble around us. Um, you can find that also where podcasts are. It's also on Twitch and YouTube. Go to redplanetshow.com. Other than that, you can hang out with me live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Who? James Stephanie Sterling. Ah, oh, that was going to be my like my second guess. 
Hi, yeah. Uh, yes, it is uh, at patreon.com slash jimquisition. Uh, I also stream typically Mondays and Wednesdays and sometimes weekends at twitch.tv slash jimsterling. Um, my current wrestling dates, by the way, thank you everyone who came on Sunday to the uh, Soft Pro show. It was one of my finest performances, so I'm, I'm really glad people got to see it. Like, just, I can't wait to show the wheel kick that I did. It, it was like a bullet from a fucking gun. But yes, thank you to people who came for that. My current wrestling dates are, I'm on a little bit of a break. Uh, I'll be back in Blackpool March 18th for PCW's Road to Glory tournament. Um, then it will be in Leeds True Grit Wrestling March 25th. That is a huge match. Commander Sterling versus Priscilla, Queen of the Ring. The Queens collide. It's going to be great. I think those are the only... I, I'm booked till August, but so many of them aren't uh, official yet. Uh, I should be at Warpath. Uh, soft pros april show as well but i will give you those those details uh at another time uh thank you all so much for listening uh and for supporting the show and all of that business uh we will see you next week bye bye bye